And as they leave, take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Psalm 25. And Tim, we're going to look at all first five verses this morning as we begin. Thank you, Krista. Beautiful song. I was just going to say, personally, Bree, do you realize how close you and Krista sound alike when you sing? Just a thought. Okay. Psalm 25. We're going to read verses 1 through 5 this morning as we begin. Here's what is written for us. It says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. And our focus verses for the next few weeks this month are verse 4 and 5. Here's what he said. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Last week we began looking at this passage and we, we spent some time on verse 1. And, I, and each week I want us to again go back to verse 1 because what he says there in verse 1 becomes the crux as to whether or not the application of verse 4 and 5 is a reality in our life as Christians. That is, the desire to call out to God. The desire to cry out to God. The desire to, to do more than just a... Or to, to, to have more than just a surface prayer life where we, we say little prayers to our Heavenly Father that, that, uh, that are given in a way, uh, more in a way of, of obligation or more in a hope of just getting something from Him rather than from the realization that He is our God, which means He is our Creator, and He is our Father, which means He loves us, and He is the one from whom all things come from. Everything we have as individuals, everything we will ever be and everything we are right now is a gift from God. And that's the reality of, of what the psalmist says as he begins this, this one psalm. He wants to pour out his heart. He wants to pour out his, his soul to God because he realizes, and God help us to realize, that if we're going to have anything in this life that is, that is of real significance, even eternal significance, it's got to come from God. This world does have a lot to offer, but most of it is, most of what it offers us is a deceptive thing. It offers us the glitz and the glamour, and if we just buy into it, uh, uh, we think we're going to get ahead. That's the lie. That's the deception of it. And again, there are many isms in this world that offer a hope to people if they would just trust, if they would just believe a certain way, if they would just hold a certain philosophy, that their life would be transformed. What Christianity actually offers is not a philosophy. It's not even a, just a set of doctrine. It is a living God who's actively involved in the life of His children, whom He created, whom He saved, and who He loves. That's the reality of our faith. And if my walk is anything less than that, then I'm missing something in this. I've allowed the influence of maybe my own thinking, maybe the, influ- the wrong thinking of other people, maybe even religious dogma to drive me to a place that I assume that my, my, my faith is something less than that living relationship with a God who created me and a Heavenly Father who loves me. And when I get that concept, God, you created, how wonderful you created me. I wasn't 
and by your will I am now. And not only did you create me in that way, but Father, you love me. When I rejected you, when I despised you, when I cursed you, when I even blasphemed your name, you love me. How awesome is that to consider that God would love me or love you in that way? And so the psalmist says, Lord, I, I pour out my heart to you. I pour out my spirit, my soul to you. God, I desire you more than anything else. And then we see that reflected in the continued prayer from this psalmist. Now, I want you to think about last week's sermon. If you didn't get it, or if you weren't here last week, you can certainly pick it up. We, we have copies of, of the CD that you can order back there. But I want to tie in last week's sermon with this week's sermon. Keeping in mind the desire of, of the heart of the psalmist and what should be our desire to call out to God and to pour out to God everything that we are. In practice last week, we learned, we, 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 we learned that he prayed. Look there in the first part of verse 4. He says, he says O Lord, show me your ways. Show me your ways. And we talked about last week how the ways of God are the priority of God. And our prayer needed to be keyed sort of this way last week. God, help me to desire your way. Okay? It's one, we talked about that it's one thing to ask for God's way. It's a whole other thing to really want God to show us His way. Because we understand, and, we, and again, we mentioned it, that God's way... The Bible says God's way is not our way. So it's a very serious matter to pour out your heart, your spirit to God and say, God, show me your way. And I'm really convinced that even in my, in, in my, in my own life that many times I've, I've said that little prayer, God, show me your way. But there was no desire in my heart really to know God's way. And then God didn't show me his way. Why? Because he knows what my heart is. I mean, I can, I can stay it all day long. But God knows our heart. He knows that those prayers come from our heart. If we really, do we really desire? Do we really want to know God's way? And one of the things that we, we talked about being God's way, if you remember last week, was this matter of loving God with all our heart. That's God's way. And loving our neighbor as ourselves. That's God's way. So last week we pray, God, put in my spirit, my heart, the desire for your way. Now this week, we're going to look at the last part of verse 4. And here's what he says in the last part of verse 4. He says, after he says, Lord, show me your ways, now he says, and teach me your paths. Now, our prayers, we pour out our heart to God this week. The prayer changes up a little bit. Last week, God, give me the desire for your way. Okay? This week, we need to pray, God, help me to know your path. Here's what I mean by this. The way of God that we discovered last week was clearly displayed in Scripture. That is, they, the man asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What was his response there in the Gospel of Luke? The greatest commandment. The foremost, the most, the most important commandment. What did Jesus say was the most important commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, everything that you are. And then he says, and the second is like unto the first. That is, it's just as important. That is, that you and I are to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's God's way. So I need to pray, God help me 
to have the desire to be obedient to your word that I may walk in your way. And by the way, didn't Jesus say, if you love me, you'll do what my word says. You'll keep my commandments. So, God's way is clearly written out for us. Now we have this issue of God's path. And I would say to you that so many times in our life, the path that God would have us go down is not written down for us. So, here's why I say a difference in prayer here. When I pray for God's way, I say, God, give me a desire to obey your way. But when I pray for God's path, I pray, God, help me to know what is your path. And we're going to talk about that this morning, the difference there and the distinction there, as we look about, uh, about these two things. So the psalmist in his prayer today says, God, teach me your path. Show me your ways. What's important to you? What's primary to you? And now, Lord, teach me your path. Teach me your path. Let's talk about the difference between these two as we consider this this morning. The difference between God's way in this passage, and I think in our own lives, and God's path shown to us in the Scripture. Here's what it is. God's way is what He does and what He calls us to do. It's in your outline there. God's way is what He does and what He's called us to do. What does God do? God, going back to our passage from last week, God loves, right? Would you agree with that? It's God's way to love. And God's way applied to us is reflective of what God has called us to do. It is a command of God that we love one another. It's not a suggestion. It's not not something that's optional to us. We can't say, you know what, I'm going to choose today not to love, but I'll still be obedient to God. Impossible. Because it is the command of God that we love. And it's interesting that he says that we're not only to love God, that we're not only to love our neighbor, and when we start... When we talk about this neighbor thing, again, our Western mindset comes in. The neighbors on my right-hand side that I, I like a whole lot, they're easy to love. Those ones that are just like me. But notice what he followed up this passage when he says you're to love your neighbor as yourself because the keeper of the law says, well, Rabbi, who is my neighbor? And immediately Jesus went into the story of the Good Samaritan, the heretic, the despised, the rejected. The half-breed, Samaritan. And in this story, it's quite interesting that Jesus chooses in his parable to make the heretic, the different one, the the unbeliever, the half-breed, the hero. The one who demonstrated what it means to love your neighbor. God's way means that speaks of what God does and what God has called us to do. And if we don't do what God calls us to do, we can't claim to be people of God's way. And what God tells us to do, this book is filled with what God tells us to do. Some people want to sit around and say, I'm going to wait till God tells me something to do. It's always interesting to me how Christians always want to wait for a lightning bolt to come from heaven to tell us what to do. We're having enough trouble doing what it already says. Why would He tell us more when we have not been obedient to what He has already given us? God's way is what God does 
and what God has called us to do. I think it's interesting that Peter writes for us these words. He says, and of course they come from the Holy Spirit, says, you are to be holy just as God is holy. You want to know what you need to do in your life? What needs to be the priority in your life? The question needs to be, what does God do? And what is the priority to God? And whatever God does and whatever the priority that God has, should it not also be our priority? Should it not be also what we do? Because remember, God is not our disciple, our follower. We're His disciple and we're His followers. So whatever it is, our teachers, our leaders, our Lord's priority ought to be our priority. And whatever He does is what we ought to be doing also. So when we talk about His way, it's what God does and what God has called us to do. Now, the distinction here, the path. Where the way is what God does and what He calls us to do, God's path is how He does what He does. And how we are to do what He's called us to do. Now see, that's why I made this little distinction when it comes to prayer. The first prayer, God's way. God, give me the heart to be obedient to your way. The second prayer. God, help me to know or understand what is your path. Where I can always go, I believe, to God's Word and say and see what God's way is, what's, what's His priority, what He's about and all those things. I may not be able to always go to God's Word itself and find a, a specific verse that says... Okay, I've shown you my way through my word. Now, here's how I want you to do it. Now, I want you to see this, church, because here's where relationship kicks in. Here's where a vital prayer life kicks in. Here's where the reality of of the need to pour out our heart, our soul, our spirit to God and just lay it all out there to Him so that that we can be emptied out of of the things that that are our biases, our preferences, our, our hatreds, all of those things that get in the way of God speaking into our life. Now think about this. What we t- tend to do is we tend to say, okay, God, I read your word. Your word says that we are to love you and we are to love others. So now, God, it must be our work now to decide how we're going to love you and how we're going to love others. What the psalmist is saying is, as God has shown us His way, God will also teach us His path. So when God says, my command to you, or my way or my command to you is to love me, I'm not only going to command you to do that, I'm going to show you how to do that. And when my my way is to have you love your neighbor as yourself and even love your enemies, I'm not only telling you to do that, I'm also going to show you how to do that. You understand the distinction and the difference there? And the need for pouring out our heart to God in, in a couple of different ways. God, help me be responsive to your way, obedient to your way. But also, Lord, help me to be open as you teach me your path. I not only need to know what is important to God, I need to know how God wants done what needs to be done. And what we usually do because we're religious-minded, is we tell God how we're going to do what we're going to do for Him. We tell God what we're going to offer to Him. We tell God what's going to go on. 
one of the again one of the infamous ways that we Baptists have a tendency to do this and stuff is that okay, I know we need to do this, and here's what worked in 1957, but it didn't work in 1967, it didn't work in 1977, it didn't work in 1987, but. We're not going to do it another way because we've never done it that way before. We don't change just to change. What we do is remain open to the Spirit of God. So that as He has taught us His way, He will also direct us or, or teach us His path. And isn't it interesting that you, as you and I look at the Scripture, we find a variety of ways that God or a variety of paths that God has taken His people down. A variety of ways that God has called His people to do things to accomplish His purpose that none of us would have ever thought would have been, maybe would have been appropriate. And even people at that time may have considered them to be an inappropriate way to do that. So, here's, here's what he, he teaches us. His way is His truth, that which is important to Him, and His path is... It is the means by which He has called us to accomplish what He's commanded us to do. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10 again. Chapter 10, 27. I want to use this passage all this time to, to give us a... I, I guess to, to further explain what, what I'm trying to share with you today. Here's what He says. We've already quoted it today, but I, want, I just want to read it together. Luke chapter 10, verse 27. He says, So he answered them and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's God's way. That's God's command. It's a requirement for all who are followers of God. But now we must ask the question, God, how can I? How can I implement what you have commanded of me? Now has God just said, Okay, here's what I want you to do. I've given you the command. Do your best. What does this look like? Well, several passages. John chapter 14. What does this kind of love look like in action, according to the Scripture? John chapter 14 and verse 16. Here's what he says. Let's start with verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells in you and, be, and will be in you. And then he goes on to say, I will not leave you as orphan. How does this look? Love looks like someone who is properly responding to one who has a position of, you might want to say authority, or a position of honor over them. Jesus says, this is how your love looks. If you love, you will keep my commandments. The commandment is to love. The path that Christ has called us to that shows the evidence that we do love Him is that we obey Him. God has called us to love. The evidence that we love 
is that we obey His commandments. Look with me further. John chapter 15 and verse 12 and 13. Now Jesus carries this further. This is my commandment. That you love one another. How? What's it say? As I have loved you. Verse 12 teaches us the path of love. The command is that we love. That's His way. The path that He's called us to walk in that love, how we are to love one another, is given to us in the Scripture. As Christ has loved us. That's almost an impossible task, is it not? As Christ has loved... Let me ask you this before we move on. How has Christ loved you? How has Christ loved you? What kind, of, what kind of person were you when Christ found you? How did He love you then? How does He love you now? Do you love your brother in Christ the way that Christ loves you that way? Do you love your spouse that way? Do you love your children that way? Do you love your parents that way? A new commandment I give to you. As, you are to love one another as I have loved you. The command, the way of Christ is love. The path. How we are to love one another. How we implement what God has called us to do is that we are to love one another as Jesus loves. Verse 13, he goes on to say this. He says, And greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is saying the greatest exhibition, the greatest display of love is someone who is willing to lay down their life for someone they actually say that they love. And if there's an un, that's how we are to love. That's God's path. The willingness to lay down our life for one another. Now, the reality is in the church in Fountain Hills, Arizona, carrying this to the furthest extent, there's not too many opportunities where we have to say, you know what, brother or sister, I'm going to go out there and lay down my life for you Monday. Because there's not too many people threaten us because of our faith. So what does laying down one's life look like in Fountain Hills, Arizona? Because it is God's path to fulfill His way in the life of His children. What does it look like to lay down your life for someone else? Well, I think Paul describes it where he says that we're to esteem others more highly than ourselves. When we see a brother or sister in need, we are to, we are to go and we are to, we are to meet that need. We are to, to be there. We are to comfort those who are in sorrow. We are to encourage those who are discouraged. We are to, to edify one another in the body of Christ. We are to care about what's going on in each other's life. And we are to be there for one another as the need arises. We're to be concerned, I would say, more that Christ works and is, and, and, and is real in someone else's life than even our own lives. I think that's what Paul was saying when he said, you know what, I could wish myself accursed for my brother's Israel. It's an incredible statement. A genuine love and caring for others. Willing to lay down our lives. And it may not be physical for us. It may be our life of comfort. It might be our life of convenience. It may be our life of privacy. It may be our life of all different areas, the willingness to lay down. That's what God's path is. That's what it looks like to obey 
the way of God to love. One other verse, Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. Here's what Paul writes for us. He says, Let, this is what love should look like. Let love be without what? Hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to that which is good. Let your love be without hypocrisy. You know what, it, you know what that simply means? Let your love be real. Let it be genuine. No ulterior motives for why you love somebody. Love is not a, a, a tool to manipulate somebody to get them to do what you want or to get from them what you want from them. It really is, going back to what Jesus said, it really is a genuine willingness to lay down your life, your rights, your comfort uh, for someone else. That's the love that He's called us to. And that's what that love looks like. The way of God is love. The path of, 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 of God when it comes to this matter of love is that that love should be without hypocrisy and a willingness to lay down our life for somebody else. In reality, many times we're not even willing to lay down our opinion to somebody else. It becomes very important for us that we get our way, that we get that our opinion is heard, that, that, that people realize how right we are and how wrong they are, rather than really loving them, rather than really laying down our life for the ones that we say we love. His way is love. The pathway of love is loving without hypocrisy. The pathway of love is, is loving in such a way that we're willing to lay down our lives for one another. The way of love is, is, is a people who, who are obedient to all the commands of God. That's what Jesus says love looks like. That's God's path when it comes to being obedient to God's way of love. Well, let me expand this just a little bit more for you this morning. Because... Although His greatest command is love, and His greatest way is love, there's so many different areas in our life that God's at work in. Would you agree with that? So how do we know, when we know God's way in some area in our life, how do we know the path toward that way? And as I said earlier, it's not always that you're going to find the path to the way of God in a specific scripture. I'll give you an example, my own personal example. Four and a half years ago, this church approached me to be the pastor. I could not find anywhere in the Scripture where it says, Tony, you need or don't need to be the pastor of First Baptist Church of Fountain Hills. I could find in the Scripture that it was God's way for me to be a pastor. I could find my call. I could find not only my call, but I could find what it meant to fulfill that call, what it means to be a pastor of a New Testament church. I could find those in the Scripture. But I could not find that one verse that says, yes, go, don't go. So how do I know? There has to be that prayer life, that openness in that prayer life, where we're not only saying, God, I know it's your way for me to do or to be a pastor, teacher in a New Testament church. But now, Lord, I need to know the path that you want me to go. I need to know the path. There's a lot of New Testament churches out there. Why this church? Why this community? And maybe some of you after four and a half years are asking the same question. Why? Okay? Why? When we deal with this matter of pouring out our heart to God, we pour it out, first of all, to say, God, 
make me willing to go your way. And then we cry out in our prayer time the same way the psalmist says, and God show me or teach me your paths. So that I might not only know what is right before you, but how you want me to do what is right before you. And again, in the scriptures, so many examples, so many varieties where God did what was unusual. I got four of them very quickly for you. Four of them that you find in scripture. One I shared last week. Some. The first one, is, is to me, I use it many times because it's one of the most incredible ones. And that's Jericho. In, in Joshua chapter 6, you have the story of Jericho. How did they take Jericho? We talked about this last week. How did they take Jericho? So you're telling me that walking around at one time a day and then on the seventh day, the seventh time, that, that's, how, that's how they took Jericho? I would say to you, no, it's not. No, it's not. God took Jericho. God took Jericho. But how God led His people to respond to Him and how He was going to take Jericho, clearly you and I would have to admit is a very unique way to take a city. In other words, it doesn't seem the proper way, does it? It doesn't seem the proper way. Nobody has ever won a battle before by doing what they did at Jericho. As far as I know, nobody has won a battle since by doing what they did at Jericho. Maybe you're aware of something I'm not aware of. But here's what I want you to see. God's promise or God's way was that He was going to give His people the land. Everybody got that? Part of the covenant, part of His way, I'm going to give you the land. But as they went into the land, they would have to also conquer some of the cities that were there. And to, God said, I want you to drive out the inhabitants of that land. But know that that's God's way. But God's path was clearly unique. Because in every step of the way, to fulfill God's way, God desired for His people to seek Him concerning how they would do, or how He would do through them what He wanted to be done. God never just says, Here's my way. Do your best. He never just says, here's what's important to me. Now you do everything in your power to fulfill what I say is important to me. God always says, here's my way. Here's what's important to me. Here's my priority. And not only do I, am I going to give you my way and my priority, but I'm going to be working in your life to show you how I want to accomplish that in your life also. See, we talk about an intimate relationship with God. We talk about this, this ability to speak with God and to receive from God, but we, we practice it very seldom. You say, Pastor, you really believe God can speak to someone in their heart and lead them specifically and directly? You bet. If not, I don't know what this is all about. See, we're so afraid of someone saying, God told me this, because we think they're, they're automatically assuming to be a, a prophet or they're going to say something in their life we don't like them to say in their life, that we miss it. We have a living Savior. We have the Holy Spirit of God who indwells us, who the Bible says, we'll talk more about Him next week, but, but who says that He reveals God's truth in our life. And that He speaks in such a, a way in our life that He guides us. I'm saying that you and I as the children of God ought to be hearing from God daily. That's what prayer is all about. 
That's what this relationship is all about. When we come back to this Psalm chapter 25 and verse 1, when is the last time we poured out our heart to God? When is the last time we really wanted prayer? God intended for His people to take the land, the promised land, but He intended for them to trust Him in how to do that every step of the way. There's another Old Testament story. 2 Kings chapter 5. There's this king by the name of Naaman. Familiar with the story? Naaman. Okay? There was a prophet in the land. Anybody remember the prophet's name? You can get the first part right easy. Now let's get the second part. Elijah. Yeah, with the S-H. Okay. Elijah. Okay? Naaman had this problem. Anybody know what Naaman's problem was? He was a leper. He was unclean. Literally, his skin was falling off of his body. Now, that's not a very pleasant thing for someone who's supposed to be leading a people. It's not very, you know, inspiring. Our king is falling apart, yet he wants to lead us type of thing. Now, again, he can't help that he had leprosy, but you understand the impact that that could have on, on, the, on the troops and everything, okay? So, Naaman sends his servant to Elisha to ask what he can do to get rid of the leprosy. Remember what Elisha's response was? Very quickly. He says, Naaman, here's what you need to do to get rid of that, 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 that leprosy. You need to go to the Jordan River. How many of you have been over to the Holy Land? The Jordan River is a dirty little river, isn't it? Okay? You, and Naaman thought that too. You need to go to the Jordan River and you need to dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Wait a minute. No, it's never been recorded before that someone had to go to the Jordan River. It's never been recorded before that seven times. And I, and I would almost say to you, let's suppose there were two lepers right there. Let's suppose one was Naaman and one was you. And you were there in that day. And you overheard the prophet say, Naaman, go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River and you'll be healed of leprosy. You say, oh, that's the key. That's what I'm going to do. And what you do is you run down to the Jordan River before Naaman gets there and you, jump, you dump, dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River. I'm wondering, do you think you'd, your leprosy would be gone? Why or why not? Listen to me. Naaman was seeking God's pass. The, the, the prophet of God showed him how to do what God told him to do. And because it came from God, that was God's path for Naaman. And remember, first of all, he refused to do it. He thought, well, that's crazy. I'm not going to that dirty river and do that. That's, someone will think I've lost my mind. And remember, what his, his, I love what his servant says. He says, King, you know, if he asks you to give a great prize, if he, if he asks you to, to give him great riches in order to get rid of the, the leprosy, you would have done that and not even, you know, it wouldn't have been. But all he's asking you to do is go jump in the, ri- go jump in the river. I was going to say go jump in the lake, but go jump in the river. And dip seven times. What, what? And Naaman finally sort of came to his senses and said, yeah, that's not, I'll do that. So he goes and he does it. Remember, he comes out on the seventh time up. He comes out and he's clean. There was no written down scripture at that time to tell Naaman that the way for him to get rid of his leprosy was by dipping in the river. He had to hear the voice of God. I'm saying to you, church, we have to hear the voice of God. 
We need to have that desire to be obedient to God's way, but we also have to ask God sincerely, God, I need you to show me your path. Because you're the only one that can show me how you want me and your church to accomplish that which you have already told us to do. See, church, what I'm saying is we need God today alive in this church to know not just what He wants us to do, but how He wants us to do it. Another unique way that God showed Himself. Matthew chapter 1. Does it not amaze you the way that God chose to save the world? Phyllis Craig and Dean had this great song. It's called, It's Such a Or is it For Him? One of the two. Uh, the song is called, It's Such a Strange Way to Save the World. Anybody heard that? And, and, and the story, it, it actually puts flesh and blood on Joseph and Mary. And the whole nativity scene. And, 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 it talk, and, and the song talks about, talks about, you know, it, basically, if man were to decide a way to send Messiah into the world and save the world, we wouldn't have done it that way. We wouldn't have done it through a lowly carpenter and a, and a humble maid. We wouldn't have had him ride on a donkey. We wouldn't have had him just gotten to Bethlehem, this little community that's really insignificant in, in all the world. And we certainly wouldn't have had him be born, be born in, in, in a manger where the animals were, in, in, in a stable with the animals, and laid in a manger. And the whole point of that is, what a strange way to save the world. That's not how we... We would probably had all the angels line up across the heavens with their horns and start blowing those horns loud and we'd have, you know, the, the great light show and all this kind of stuff happen and, and then, all, you know, right at the, at, the, at, the, at the apex of everything that's happening with this great display, boom, Messiah shows up. That's how we would do it. That's, that's a way for Messiah. But you read in Matthew chapter 1 and we see God's plan. It wasn't God's plan to do it the way we would do it. It wasn't God's path. You see, it was God's way to save the world. Everybody got that? It was God's way to save the world. But the way God chose to do it was so unique. It, it, it stands alone. We would not have done it in that manner. Yet just as God gave Israel... Jericho, just as God healed Naaman of leprosy, now we have God saving the world in a way that we wouldn't have come up with. Final example, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in that Paul describes, the first five verses of of that book, he describes the gospel. Jesus born of a virgin. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus rose from the dead. This is the gospel by which we are saved. Can anybody in here explain how the gospel works? How does it work? How does it work that God takes on flesh, comes among us, lives a sinless life? How does it work that He goes to a cross, He's tortured upon that cross, He's humiliated upon that cross, He dies upon that cross, They take his body off that cross. They put him into a borrowed grave. Three days later, he rises from the dead and he overcomes sin and death and hell for us. I believe it, but I can't tell you how it works. And I'm not even sure that it would be the way that... Well, I can say it's not the way I would do it. Again, as I would 
at the end of that great light show where Messiah appears, then through His fingers or maybe through His eyes or something like that, He would shoot lasers into the eyes of all humanity and all humanity be saved. Wow, what a great way to do it. That's not how it's done. There had to be a cross. There had to be a death. There had to be a resurrection. God's way is to give mankind eternal life. God's path was by the way of Calvary and a borrowed tomb in a garden in Jerusalem. I want you to get this. I'm just about done, but I want you to get this. We talk about God's way and and God give us a desire to be obedient to your way in every area of our life. And I can't get to that place of real desire until I'm willing to do what the psalmist says, that is to pour out my spirit to God, to cry out to God. To ask God to empty out that which is in me that is contrary to His way. And I continue in that crying out to God by saying, And God, teach me your path. Show me what your paths are. And I must again pour out my spirit in that way and my soul in that way to say, Now God, take those things in me that stand in, in, in defiance of your path. Take that attitude of, this is the way we've done it, this is the way we'll do it, and this is the way we'll always do it. Take that attitude away from me to say, God, give me clarity to hear your voice so that I will know your path that you're trying to teach me today. People go into harm's way because they sincerely believe that that's where God has called them. Logically, we could sit here and say, very easily say, why would you go to a place of great trouble to share the gospel when there are people here in Fountain Hills who need the gospel. Hopefully the answer will always be, because I've heard the call of God, and His way is to save this world, and His path for me is to go to that place. And His path for you may be to remain in Fountain Hills. And if that's His path, that's where you need to be. So we try to judge people by our comfort level and maybe even by our guilt level. Say, I'm not willing to answer that call to take that path. How could you take that path? And in reality, church, it's not a matter of me evaluating the path that I'm taking against the path that you're taking or someone else is taking. The reality is I need to earnestly seek God concerning the path that He's called me to. And whatever path He's told told me to take, I need to take that. And that cannot happen except I have that personal, intimate prayer life with God. It is important that we desire to be people of the way of God. That which is important to Him needs to be important to us. That's what He says is true for us. It needs to always be true for us. But it's also, and I would say equally important, that we be a people who, do be, who desire to be taught by God how He wants us to do what he, wants us, what he wants us to do. And that we clearly hear His voice and, and are obedient to Him when He tells us. See, we don't have to be like any other church. I don't think we need to be. I don't think we were meant to be. 
And I don't even think we're meant to be like your former church. It's an interesting phenomenon. We come into church and we say, I just wish I was back at my former church. I wish everybody did. I wish this church did what my former church did. Don't miss it, folks. It's not the methodology that's important. It's the one who's given the method that's important. And we are called to learn His path for us. And you can't learn that simply by finding a specific verse for it. You only learn that on your knees, on your face, before Him, with a willingness to say, Father, teach me your paths. Teach me how to do what I know You've commanded me to do. That I might follow the path that You have for my life. I close with this thought. Do you understand that that's a successful Christian life? We don't rate success in the church the way the world does. We do not rate Listen, we do not rate success by results. Oh, that, that stings. That stings for we who are American Christians. Because everything we've ever been taught in our life that is that you rate success by results. But in the church, success is not rated by results, but success is shown or determined by obedience. You see, we could sit here, and I'm not saying this is what God has, we could sit here and God says, I want you to sit here. First Baptist, here's my path for you. I want you to sit here. I want you to sit here and seek my face for the next six months. That's my path for you. I don't want you to go out in the community. I don't want you to do anything else. I want you to sit here. And our first mind would be, how could God say that? Because nobody's going to be reached. Again, I want to tell you, who reaches people? God reaches people. I think about Judson. I think about a man who was willing to go and spend seven years in a, in a, in a place where nobody was going to respond to him. I think about a man who was accused by other Christians of, how could you stay there that long? And don't you have a sense of failure that you've stayed there that long and still nobody has responded to God? And I think about a man who has a heart for God in such a way that he says, there's, there's no failure here. And it wasn't a matter of pride. There's no failure here. This is where God called me to be. It was His way to reach these people. And it was His path for me to be here and to do what He's called me to do. That's what we need to be crying out to God for. That is what our desire needs to be. I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me this morning. We discover together that God has a way for us. An eternal truth that He has for all of His children. But we also discover that He has a specific path for each of us. Part of our prayer life is is the discovery of that path. What, God, what do you have for me? God, how are you leading me to fulfill what I know is your eternal purpose in my life? God, help me to have ears and a heart that is sensitive to you and to go down your path, even if no one sees it as the path to go. Even if no one's ever gone that path before. God, you've led your people in... in Unique ways before. And you have reaffirmed over and over again. 
who you are as they followed your path. So, Father, teach me your path today. Teach me your path. Father, I thank you for your people who are gathered here in this place today. And, Father, for the psalmist who you inspired to pen this 25th psalm. And and his desire just to pour out his heart to you. And in pouring out that heart, his desire to know your way and to to be taught your path. And, and Father, I pray that, that that somehow would move among us here today starting with the people that just want to pour up themselves and their spirit and their heart towards you. And who desire for you is to show us your ways and to teach us your path. Father, I pray today if there's someone here that doesn't know you, that today would be the day they step into that, that ultimate plan that you have for all of us. And that's to know you, the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. And, Father, for your people, those who do know you, Father, begin changing our hearts to the place where we are willing to be broken before you in such a way that all we want is you. That we would pour out our hearts and our spirits to you. Change us. And, Lord, I know that's your way. You want to change us. But, Lord, show us how you're going to change us as you work that work in us, the path that you have for us. Father, as you're speaking to others about decisions, about either becoming a part of this church or not, Lord, I pray you'll guide them, you'll help them to know your will and your path for their life. More than anything, before we leave here as your people today, may we all come to that place where we say, yes, Lord, to whatever you're doing, however you're leading us, whatever you're showing us. Remind us, Father, that the, that the example of our love to you is a willingness to obey what you command us. And I pray this in Jesus' name.